to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that that it is a gift to us. We thank you as we heard last week that as we As we read your word, as we study, as we hear from it, you don't desire for us to fill our heads with knowledge, but you desire for us to grow in our relationship with you. And so that's our prayer for this afternoon, for this next 30 minutes or so. We want to grow in our love for you. We want to understand more of who you are, more of what you've done, more of who you've called us to be. So Holy Spirit, do what you do. Illuminate the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to us this afternoon. Jesus, we thank you that these are your words. Thank you that your word is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we ask that you would change us for your glory, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, we're looking at these five areas of devotion as a church. So far, we've looked at a church being devoted to prayer. Uh, church being devoted to God's word and then this afternoon we're looking at what it looks like for us to be a church who are devoted to the fellowship. Next couple of weeks we're going to finish up looking at being a church who are devoted to uh, generosity and the breaking of bread. As we think about what fellowship is, it's interesting when we think of, of who we are and how we're made. And I think within each of us, whether we're Christians or not, there is a latent desire, kind of an inbuilt desire to belong. That word fellowship, we don't really use it that often, but it is, encapsulates the sense of belonging. And we all have this sense of wanting to belong. This, this kind of itch within us to, to belong to something or to belong to someone. And for a long time, our culture provided spheres in society where we could, we could kind of get that itch scratched just a little bit. So for a long time, probably until the last 50 or 60 years, work was a social activity. So we had a sense of belonging when we went to work. We, we either worked in the fields together or a lot of us would go to factories and work together. And there was camaraderie and, and brotherhood and sisterhood. And we would, we would have just this sense of belonging in work. Think of family 50, 60 years ago. Family was a social activity, being part of a family. If you were bored as a family... You wouldn't kind of shrink off to your room and play on your phone. You'd probably, if you had the money, gather around a piano. And someone would play the piano and we'd sing songs together. Or you'd play games together. Or you'd put the wireless on and listen to the radio. Like It was a a social activity being part of a family. The individual life was rare and it was to be avoided. And then as the Industrial Revolution took off, automation came in. And... Machines took over what men and women would do in factories. And through the 1800s, the Industrial Revolution threatened to dilute this kind of social aspect to work, to family. And it was on track to do so until we hit the World Wars. The World Wars, the First World War, the Second World War, were the two probably most 
galvanizing moments in modern history. Our nation and lots of other nations across the world came together and they gave themselves to something. People had a sense of belonging. They felt like they were part of a movement, part of a community. And the result, at least for for the allied countries, was we had a shared victory. But before long, after the world wars, with advances in technology and the Industrial Revolution really finding its grip, the need for each other just faded away. Technology kind of ripped apart that need for us to be together and do together. Machines replaced workforces, record record places replaced pianos, TVs replaced theatres, and everything that we once uh, enjoyed in community and and did together, well, we can can do it all on this. The itch for belonging, that craving to be part of something or, or someone, still here and we try and soothe that itch by giving ourselves to all manner of things like we try and engage in things to get that sense of belonging to to just have that itch scratch for a minute like you look across the country at 3 p.m on saturday afternoons and we have football stadiums filled with people who have this this just a, a, a little bit of an itch a sense of belonging fans singing together and and they have this camaraderie together Think about 18 months ago, many of us were on our doorsteps clapping for the NHS. This sense of belonging, this unifying experience as a country. And then there are darker ways that we try and cure the itch of belonging. Addictions to drink, substances, pornography, compulsive spending. All of these things are just this desire to to give ourselves to something. And sure enough, when we engage in these things, whatever it is for you, we do feel like we're being caught up into something. But then after the referee blows 19 minutes or or once that last person has clapped and we go inside and shut the doors, it's gone. Once the film ends, once the bottle is empty, once the credit card is maxed out, we realize again that none of it has quite fixed our craving, quite soothed that itch to belong. There's a reason for that. We weren't made to be alone, folks. Right at the start of the Bible, God sees that. He sees it. He creates Adam. He puts him in the garden. It's just Adam. And what does God say? It is not good for man to be alone. And that kind of makes sense when you see the blueprint for how humanity are made. Before that, God says that he creates man. How does he create them? In his own What is the image of God? Who is God? Well, God is three persons and one God. He's three persons. And so for all eternity, the eternal God has engaged in community, has has had a sense of perfect belonging. The Father, the Spirit, the Son, it's what theologians call perichoresis. It's so hard to explain because we're not God, but it's this beautiful movement of the Father and the Son and the Spirit for all eternity, loving each other, engaging with each other, and they have a perfect sense of community. They are the perfect community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And if we are created in that image, then so we are created to be in community. Well, here's the thing. That itch for belonging isn't soothed by just being part of something. It's more than that. When I was younger, I think I was in year seven, we'd uh, done a history lesson and we'd looked at the Titanic. 
And if you haven't learned this by now, I, I was and probably still am a bit of a geek. And so me and my geeky friends, we decided the right thing to do in honor of those who lost their lives in the Titanic was to create a Titanic Memorial Club. And this is what we did. And uh, we put up posters around the school, inviting others to come and attend. We made little pin badges. We had membership cards ready for go, to go for other people to come and engage. And it was so exciting. And we gathered together for the inaugural meeting. There was me and two other mates and we waited for people to come in. It was just us three, no one else came. But the funniest thing is we sat there and we were ready to go with this club. And as soon as it started, we all looked at each other and we quickly realized we had nothing to do. Like, what does the Titanic Memorial Club do? Like, we literally, we just had this great sense of belonging to something, but no purpose. It quickly dissolved, as you would expect. Our, our um, craving to belong to something, folks, isn't just about being part of something. It's about being part of something with a purpose. See, that's different. It's being part of something with a purpose. And God gives that to humanity. Adam and Eve have this sense of belonging, but they also have purpose in their belonging. They are made to be together, to be in community, but they are given a purpose. God gives them a purpose. And you know what it is? Enjoy me. Enjoy what I've created and enjoy me. Love me. Rest in me. Find joy in me. It's what the Bible calls worship. We were created to worship. And that is the cure for the itch to belong that every human experiences. The only way that itch will be satisfied is in God and worshipping him. Augustine, who was one of the early church fathers, put it like this. He looked at this itch. He looked at this craving. He looked at this deep desire and an innate desire within all of humanity to belong. And this is what he said it is. He said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We are just wandering, traveling, trying to find the rest that we so desperately crave. And it is only found in God. And here's the beauty. God doesn't hide himself from us. It's not like he says, okay, this is how you're created. This is the thing that will satisfy your desire. Right, figure it out on your own. Maybe he doesn't lead, leave us on our own. He sent his son. Jesus comes and lives amongst us. And Jesus shows us what it looks like to belong. He shows us what it is to belong to the family of God and to have that purpose of worshiping God. He loves God. He finds rest in God. He finds joy in God. He lives a life of worship. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, he makes a way for us to enjoy God. To enjoy everything that Adam and Eve walked away from when their sin broke them away from the presence of God. Jesus brings us into an eternity of belonging through his resurrection. A way for our deepest desires to be satisfied forever. And that, folks, is a life that he offers for anyone who has faith to believe. Jesus knows that we're searching. He knows that we're trying to find a cure for this itch. And he knows that many of us are exhausted from thinking that we found the cure to belong and then realizing it wasn't what we thought. And if that is you this afternoon, this is what he says to you. Come to me. All who weary and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am humble and gentle of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That is a promise that he holds out to every weary traveller. And it is a promise that his disciples heard, believed, and gave the rest of their lives to. See, as they gather, as we read in Acts chapter 2, you get a deep sense that these folks belong. They had a real sense of belonging. They are part of something with purpose. You can just see the joy of them being together, the energy and the excitement as they're together. We can see it as we read it. And Luke, who writes this account, he gives a name to what this gathering is. You see it? Verse 42. The fellowship, he calls it. The fellowship of believers. And they devoted themselves to it, he says in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the fellowship of the believers. And every Christian is called to devote themselves to it too. Now, folks, if this is what we are to vote to devote ourselves to, we need to understand really what it is and be clear what is the fellowship. Because if we get it wrong, if that is kind of a root and part of God's plan for us to experience the contentment and rest and joy and love that he wants to give us, then we need to get it right. We need to be on the right trajectory. And we can get it wrong. If you've been a Christian for any time at all, your idea of what true Christian fellowship is, is might be completely misaligned with what Jesus intends it to be. So let me just say straight away, fellowship, Christian fellowship, is not just having coffee after the service or before the service. It's not just going on a walk together. It's not grabbing dinner on the lane or it's, it's not any social gathering, really. And those things are great. They're wonderful. But just because we share some social time with each other, it doesn't mean that we've shared fellowship for Christians coming together is not the definition of true fellowship. And let me just push this a little bit further because after two years of isolation and separation because of what we've been through, a lot of us are feeling this itch of wanting to belong together. We're craving genuine fellowship. And if we read Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47, we might well think, well, good Christian fellowship is, is being in and out of each other's homes. It's spending more time together. It's hanging out more like we've even got a phrase for it. It's doing life together. That's all we think it is. We've missed the point. Fellowship is not just about being together. If that's what it is, there are hundreds of clubs that we can go and join. If it's just having dinner together as Christians, well, there's loads of people doing that on the lane. If it's just having coffee together, I know there are loads of people who do that on the lane because I'm there all the time. If it's just having walks together, go to Sefton Park, there are tons of people having true fellowship together. Christians coming together is not fellowship, folks. Let me tell you what it is. Let me tell you how the Bible portrays what true Christian fellowship is. True fellowship is about helping each other to grow in our fellowship with God. That's what it is. That's why God's word and prayer and worship and, and sacrifice are so important to this first church. That's why you see it in these verses. And folks, we so idealise the idea of what good fellowship looks like. It's, it's opening our homes, it's having meals together, it's having coffee, it's having the walks. And they are all lovely and great and good things. And don't hear me, I'm not saying don't do those things. But if they are absent from any desire to want to help each other grow in our fellowship to God, then they aren't spectacular at all. And they will never soothe the itch to belong. See, one of the dangers in looking at this passage, like we're doing, just verse 42 to 47, 
is that we could read it well out of context. These few verses come with context. Context within the chapter, context within the book of Acts, context within the Bible as a whole. Like we could easily rip out this page, rip out Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 and say, okay, this is the blueprint for good gospel community. Right, guys, let's let's open our homes, let's read the Bible, let's pray, let's share everything in common, let's give to the poor. That's all it is. And that will be lots of fun, but that is not the goal. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 sits within the whole story of God, which is all about God bringing a people to himself, establishing a deep and meaningful and transformational relationship with us, and day by day restoring in us the image of in which we were first created, his image. And this is the place that he does it, in the fellowship of believers. True fellowship is all about belonging to something, but something with a specific purpose, which is to help each other grow in our relationship with God. And that is the need of every human soul, and we will be restless until we find it. So how do we get it? What should it look like when we get there? Well, first off, we need to see that there is no meaningful fellowship with each other until we have fellowship with God. If you're not a Christian this afternoon, you are so welcome here. We want to invite you to participate in as much of this fellowship as possible, but I want to be honest with you up front. You will soon lose interest in Liberty Church. You will. See, our fundamental problem isn't that we need to be connected to people it's that we need to be connected to God. Any meaningful fellowship that we enjoy here has to flow first out of a meaningful relationship with God. If you're not a Christian, that has to be your first priority. Like, I love that we're all gathered to, here together this afternoon, but far more impart, important than us being together here is that you are found with God. Mm-hmm. And he has done all that is necessary to deal with your, son, deal with your sin and the death of his son and to give you faith to believe if you will ask. Our fellowship with God, if you like, our vertical kind of relationship, our fellowship with God is the model for our fellowship with each other, kind of horizontal level of relationships. And a good way to understand that is to see how the Bible paints the picture of true Christian fellowship. Through the Bible, you get these, these different refrains. So you know a refrain is it's a musical term of when something is repeated. And it's repeated, and it's repeated, and the reason it's repeated is so that we remember. You get lots of different repeated sayings, and one of the most frequently repeated sayings is this phrase, one another. You've read that before? If you've read the New Testament at all, you will have come across it a lot. There are 100 different one another's just in the New Testament. So you get things like love one another, build one another up, accept one another. A true fellowship, a true Christian fellowship is about helping each other grow in our relationship with God. Well, then a good place to start in trying to understand what that looks like is to see what these one another's are. Because they are the ways in which we'll do it. They are the ways in which we'll enjoy true fellowship, helping each other grow in our relationship to God. And don't worry, we're not going to go through all 100 of them this afternoon. But it is helpful to see that if you were to list them all out, they would fit broadly into four categories. So the first category would be unity, being together, being united. The second would be hospitality, the third encouragement, and the fourth care. If we engage in those things, that's what it looks like to engage in true 
fellowship. But what's wonderful is each of those four things, unity, hospitality, encouragement and care, they are things that God has already extended towards each of his children. So before we even think about doing those things with each other, see the glory and the beauty that God has done these things to us. So unity, he has united us to himself through the death and resurrection of his son. Hospitality, he welcomes us into his presence. Like that always just blows my mind. Like we are in the presence of God right now because his son is there and we are united through his spirit in his son. Encouragement, he builds us up with his word, feeds us with his word and care. He cares for us each day, does not abandon us, but cares for us each day by his spirit. Our fellowship with God, think of that vertical line before we think horizontally is marked by unity, hospitality, encouragement and care. And what we have received from God, we can then engage with one another. With this goal of growing our relationship with God, underpinning each one. So let's just move through them briefly. Spend a little bit of time looking at what it looks like for us to engage in each of these four areas. In a way of one another in each other. In a way of engaging in true fellowship. Growing each other's relationship with God. So unity. We've read, Luke says that they were together. This fellowship were together. They were physically in the same place. They gathered together. But as you read on in the book of Acts, you also see that they were of one mind. They were united. Now, does anyone, whether anyone else is a fan, but The Apprentice is um, another one of the... Pro- it sounds like Elizabeth and I watch the telly all the time. We don't. We just pick what we watch and, and sit there. And we, we like watching The Apprentice. It's one of these cathartic programs, you know, when you watch people just failing and it's wonderful. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, I love this because it's not me. And, and the wonderful thing with The Apprentice, or the hilarious thing with The Apprentice is, you just pile a load of egos into one room and you look at them destroy each other. And that's what happens. They're meant to be in two teams, and one of the teams has got to win. And so the way to do it is to work together, but they can't. And they're all pulling in different directions because they have different ideas and different egos and different experience. What they need to do is to pull in the same direction, is be united. Now, folks, if you looked across, we won't do it because people feel uncomfortable. If you looked across our church, you would see there's a lot of difference. A lot of difference in our church. Different ethnicities, different upbringings, different jobs, different hobbies, different personalities. Different preferences, different levels of income, different sizes of homes, different areas that we live in. There's so much difference in Liberty Church. And because there is, there is so much potential for division, tension and disunity. And that will happen. If we think that this fellowship is just a gathering of Christians, folks, we will fall out. But it's not. It's so much deeper than that. We have a desire as we engage in fellowship to help each other grow in our relationship with God. And God has supernaturally bonded us together. Like this group of misfits. We call this place a beautiful mess because we're all over the place. And God in his grace and his mercy has brought us together. And unites us through his son. Just think. The person who is next to you. If they are a Christian. God has brought them here this afternoon. Yes for the praise and the glory of his name. But he has also brought them for you. Do you ever think like that? Do you ever think. As you're sitting there next to someone else. God's brought me here for them. We are a body together, united through Christ. And the blood that courses through our veins is his love. 
Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. I think in this early church, in this first true fellowship that we read in Acts chapter 2, one of the most powerful ways that we see this act of love between each other is prayer. They were devoted to prayer. We've already seen that a few weeks ago. And actually in the New Testament, as you see uh, prayer being a pattern of the early church, almost exclusively you see that their prayers are for other people. It's very rare that you see the believers praying for themselves. They have this rhythm of praying for others. And actually I think prayer for others is one of the strongest ways that we show our unity, show our love together. Because have you ever tried to pray for someone that you don't like? really hard like I've tried it it's really hard it's hard to pray for someone who you're not united to it's hard to pray for someone where there's tension where there's disunity where there's disagreement and so prayer genuine prayer heartfelt prayer for one another is a wonderful way that we can show our unity show our love towards one another so can I encourage you ask God to grow your love for your brothers and sisters at Liberty Church and grow a ministry of prayer for them as the fruit of our union together. Unity and then hospitality. It says in the passage that they ate together. They were in each other's homes. So here's another one. There's the apprentice and there's come down with me. Anyone seen that one? That's another one. It's just awkward viewing. Like they get four different people and the producers know what they're doing. They get people with different backgrounds, different tastes, uh, different uh, um, um, uh, kind of preferences, and they pile them all into a room and they've got to cook for each other and please each other, and it just never happens. The meals that we see in Acts chapter 2, these were, these were open meals, joyful meals, inclusive meals, and they were diverse. Like if you look right at the start of Acts chapter 2, you'll see that this early church was made up from people all over the Roman Empire. Jews who'd come into Jerusalem from all over the place. Different accents, different interests, different socio-demographic backgrounds. They looked different. They had different personalities. And at the meals, they were all welcome. Just like God welcomes us as we are, no matter what our stories are, folks, so should we with each other. See, it's easy to open our homes to people who we like, and let the people who we don't get on that well slip to the bottom of the pile. It's easy to invite people into our homes, people who are like us. And I say thank, like literally, thank God that he doesn't have that attitude with us. Oh, I'm not too keen on that one. They can stay over there. Oh, they don't look like us, do they, Jesus? Let's leave them at the bottom of the pile. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another. How? Without grumbling. So open your homes, folks, and make room at your table for those who aren't like you without grumbling. That is a mark of true Christian hospitality. But can I just encourage us practically? Open your homes, make food, but lay your table with Christ. Here's what I mean by that. This first fellowship that we read in Acts chapter 2, they were in and out of each other's homes and the food was probably good. Like, I love Middle Eastern food, so it was probably great food. They were enjoying good food, but I'm almost certain the conversation was even better. See, they were talking, they were singing, they were teaching and they were studying all about Jesus. 
So yes, let's open our homes. Yes, let's have an extra chair at the table for those who maybe aren't like us. Let's cook good food or average food, whatever it is. Just cook something. Open your home and welcome people in. But lay your table with Christ. And I'm not talking about, okay, having people in and we have like a six-point sermon ready to go and a great kind of interactive Bible study. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm just talking about it could be as simple as, guys, can we just say grace? And as we do, I just want to give thanks for you. I'm just spending a few minutes in prayer. Or it might be, I don't know, just as you're talking, just sharing. I've been reading this this week in, in, in my devotionals. Can I just share it with you just for a couple of minutes? It's really touched my heart. Like a couple of minutes, just a few seeds that you plant. This doesn't have to be hard. We just share Jesus. We just tell his stories. We just speak his truth. Let us seek to grow one another's love for God. <coughs> opening our homes but laying our tables with Christ. Here's the next one, encouragement. This early church were a hotbed of encouragement. And I've been reading some of the accounts of the early church, some of the historical accounts, some of which were written by Christian historians, some of which uh, weren't written by Christians at all, but they seem to say something consistent as they looked at this early church, as they looked on and saw how they engaged with each other, they all remark how happy these Christians were. And it was strange. It was a strange happiness. Like in the first few hundred years of the church, they had, their life was hard. Life was brutal. Like the Roman Empire was a difficult place to live. They had wars. They had crooked leaders. They had pandemics. But in the midst of it all, those who were looking in remarked that these Christians were happy. Why? Why wouldn't they be? The gospel had transformed their fortunes from sinners destined to hell to saints destined for heaven. The gospel had brought them into a strange but loving family. The gospel had secured in them the presence of God by his Holy Spirit for all eternity. It was the gospel, folks, that made them happy. Paul writes into the church in Thessalonica says this, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. What were they encouraging each other with? What were they building each other up with? If you read before, you'd read it's the gospel. Folks, we have no cause to be discouraged or miserable when we've been encouraged by the gospel. One of the most frustrating things to see, I think, is, and hear me when I say this, this isn't dismissing the pain and the struggle of life, but when we've been engaging in the gospel, singing truths, engaging with the beauty of what God has done. And our faces look so miserable and our countenance is so miserable. I had a, um, some videos come through on my WhatsApp this week of a friend who's planting a church in a difficult place. And he took some of the guys in the church along to the roughest pub in the area to do a Bible study. And they're sitting down and doing the Bible study and then afterwards a karaoke kicks off naturally what do you do well naturally these guys they got up and they engaged in the karaoke and he sent me the videos of these guys they can't sing at all um and he showed me two videos there's one guy who's um going for it mysterious girl by peter andre like going full guns blazing this guy works for the church the other guy gets up he's singing all always look on the bright side of life and everyone in the pub's gravitating towards it they're all off on their tables singing and dancing and getting involved 
Folks, we have every reason to be happy, and I'm not saying we need to be karaoke people, but I am saying we need to be people who've been marked and transformed and show the beauty of what the gospel has done in our lives. And that makes us happy. So what about this week in your GC WhatsApp? You just drop some gospel truths in. Don't feel like you need to unpack them. Just something that stirs your affection for Jesus. Just drop it in. What about you write someone a letter encouraging them with gospel truths? What about, like, you know, these, they can make phone calls. <laughs> like, imagine if we picked up our phone to someone who we know is discouraged and sought to build them up with the gospel by just, just for two minutes. Can I just, I just want to read this to you. I don't fully understand it, but I, I know enough to know that it stares my heart and it'll stay yours. Can I just read it to you? Folks, let us seek to grow each other's love for God by encouraging one another with the gospel. And here's the last one, care. This early church devoted themselves to each other. They made sure that no one was in need. They were selling their possessions, giving generously to each other. And we're gonna spend much more time in a few weeks when we look at what it is to be a people who are devoted to generosity. But just briefly, I wanna just show us that caring for each other is a spectacular way that we can help each other grow in our love for God. But it requires honesty and effort and vulnerability. Vulnerability. Honesty, effort, and vulnerability. Galatians 6.2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Folks, you can't bear my burden unless you know what it is. Now that's hard because no one's natural instinct is to show that we are in need. To show that we're, we're, we're in need of someone coming and moving towards us. Or to show that we have some area of weakness. We fear that we're going to be judged or, or made to feel inferior or feel second rate. Like we've been hiding our, our struggles and our weaknesses ever since the beginning with metaphorical fig leaves. But it eats us up. I was speaking to someone recently, someone who's been struggling with this issue of sin secretly for years and years. And he starts sharing what is going on and he describes this feeling of having to keep this secret sin, of having to bear this burden on his own. He says, it was like it was eating me from the inside. Let me just say, the fellowship of believers, the church of Jesus Christ, this place is the one place in the world where it is safe for you to come and not have to hide. Because let me just say this, we're all broken. We're all sinners. We're all as messed up as each other. But we also know that real help is found here. Let me remind you and close with what Jesus says in Matthew 11 again. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. See, the truth is when you share your struggles, your brokenness, your sin, your pain, we won't be able to bear your burden on our own. But we can point you to one who can. <coughs> this is the safest of places for you to struggle because there is no judgment here. And this is the most hopeful of places to struggle because we have all the help that we need in Christ Jesus. 
And if you're ready to stop hiding and receive the help that you need, then it's here. As a first step, if you're a believer, I'd encourage you to get alongside someone in a moment when we take communion and to pray with them. And then I'd encourage you to throw yourself into this fellowship. Make this time, this table, these people, your priority. And then immerse yourself into one of our gospel communities. Brothers and sisters, let's seek to grow each other's love for God by being vulnerable with our weaknesses, by getting alongside one another, bearing one another's burdens, by punting each other to Jesus. Unity, hospitality, encouragement, and care. These are all gifts that God has given to us, and they are all marks of true fellowship, the community of God's people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you see us as we are. Thank you that we don't need to pretend with you. Thank you that those that you say, you save us despite ourselves. It was while we were still sinners, it was while we were at our worst that you saved us. Thank you that your people belong to you. You have united us to yourself and you have made us a home with you. Thank you that we don't have to journey alone. You've brought us into your family, this beautiful mess that is your church. So help us to grow in our fellowship with you as we fellowship with each other. Keep us unified. Stay within us a genuine hospitality that looks like your hospitality. Give us a deep sense of encouragement for each other that comes from your encouragement to us in the gospel. And help us to engage in a tangible honest, vulnerable care leads one another to your son, Jesus. We need you, Jesus, so come now. Holy Spirit, come and help us direct our gaze towards the son. Bring us help in his name for his glory.